mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's episode has been sponsored by Jay McLaughlin. Jay McLaughlin is a timeless lifestyle brand with incredible style and a spirit of connection. I am obsessed with Jay McLaughlin and have been so honored that they are sponsoring my Zibiverse tour. It just so happens that the tour goes to so many communities and areas of the country that have Jay McLaughlin stores. And I love that the brand is philanthropic through Jay McLaughlin's local and loyal programming, host store events to give back to organizations that are meaningful to Jay McLaughlin's local communities. I also love the fact that the clothes are just so chic They make me feel polished and modern, and the best part is that most of the line comes in fabrics that don't wrinkle. I especially love the dresses, the cashmere sweaters, the other sweaters. You'll see them all over my Instagram. I typically tag at Jay McLaughlin, and so you can check it out. It is absolutely one of my favorite brands, and I am over the moon excited to be working with them. In fact, I want to share the love with all of you. Jay McLaughlin is giving 20% off new customers and listeners of my podcast with special code ZIBBY20, capital Z-I-B-B-Y 20. That's 20% off for new customers and listeners of the podcast with special code capital Z-ZIBBY20. Take advantage of it today. My favorites are this white, open, long cashmere sweater that I've been wearing on every flight that I've taken on this tour. I have a blue with light blue horizontal striped sweater, several dresses I even wore on Morning America. Check it out. Jay McLaughlin. Thanks so much. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now. Thank you so much called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. And definitely check out those shows as well. Nina LeCur is the author of Yerba Boina, a novel. Nina is the Michael L. Prince award-winning and nationally best-selling author of Watch Over Me, We Are Okay, Hold Still, and Everything Leads to You. 
She hosts the podcast Keeping a Notebook and teaches for Hamline University's MFA in Writing for Children and Young Adults program. A former indie bookseller and high school English teacher, she lives with her family in San Francisco. Yerba Buena is her adult debut. Welcome, Nina. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Yerba Buena. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, Can you please tell listeners what your book is about? Yes. A reader recently described your Buena in a way that I really loved. She said okay. that it was like a love story nestled within a coming of age story. Ooh. And I think that puts it perfectly um, because at its center, there is a love story between two women, Sarah and Emily, but the full breadth of the novel is more about each of them Um coming into themselves fully dealing with some very traumatic things that happen to them when they're teenagers and learning how to kind of be the people they want to be in the world through a lot of trial and error and introspection and, um, you know, some self-sabotage and, (laughs) uh, you know, other really digging deep into their passions and the things that they love. And in so doing, they become people who are capable of loving each other. Oh, well, that was a good description. There you go. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Um, Well, let's back up a minute because I know you used to write YA and this is your first adult novel, which is very exciting. So how did you even start getting, like, where did you, how did you begin all of this? And also, of course, you've become this huge writing advocate, teacher, everything in this whole world. So where did it start? And like, where'd you grow up? Like, go, go back and like, get me up to here, please. Sure. (laughs) Well, I live in San Francisco now. I have always lived in the Bay Area. So I grew up on the east side of the Bay Area and I lived in a small town and I felt kind of stuck there. It was like Mm -hmm. a really little place without its own freeway exit or a BART station, just like this little tucked away town. And um, I really found so much of my sense of, you know, who I was and what I dreamed of and everything through reading and writing. So I was a very quiet, shy, introspective kid. I spent a lot of time at this little creek behind the apartment where I grew up, like reading and writing poetry. Um, So writing has always been a huge part of my life and books in general have been. And then I became pretty singularly focused. Like I knew I wanted to be a writer. I applied for um, a creative writing program at San Francisco State because all I wanted was to move to San Francisco and to write. And so I did that. And then I actually started Yerba Buena back then. So a long, long time ago, it was like right when I graduated from college, I went to New York for the first time with my then girlfriend, now wife. And we explored New York. She's from upstate New York. So she knew a little bit about the city. And there was something about being in a totally different place that suddenly I had this thought of a character. Um, and it was the character of Sarah who ends up in Yerba Buena, but has, it has nothing to do with New York. But like, that's where this idea came to me. I think sometimes being jolted out of your familiar you know, home and being somewhere else kind of just allows for new ideas to come. So that's when I had this first idea about the story. And I had this character, Sarah and her little brother, Spencer, and I had this beautiful environment that they were in, but I didn't know why they were there. And then I wrote, started writing that book and used it to apply to graduate school. 
So I went to Mills College in Oakland for grad school, and it was there that I discovered YA literature. Um, I hadn't read very much of it as a kid, but I took a class on adolescent fiction. The wonderful writer named Catherine Reese, who has just a very long, steady career in writing for young people. And I I fell in love with the genre, and I... um, started writing my thesis, um, which was my, turned into my first novel, Hold Still. And it was wonderful because I was in my early twenties. And so those teen years were close enough that I remembered them very intimately, but also far enough that I had a little bit of distance and was able to, you know, kind of rehash some of the experiences that I had when I was younger, just disguising them, making them fiction, of course, but kind of mining that personal territory. And then I just kept writing YA. I kept getting more contracts. I love writing about teenagers. There's something so immediate in a teen story because there are so many first experiences and, you know, first times facing the, you know, joys and sadnesses of the, of the world. And so I've enjoyed it a lot, but this Yerba Buena, this book has always been there, like waiting for me to turn back to it and finish it. So during the pandemic, when it was the serious lockdown, I just thought this matters to me and I want to do it. And so I started over from the beginning and, and wow. finished it. Oh my gosh. And somewhere along the way, because I heard in your um, Keeping a Notebook podcast that you used to work at Diesel. Is, so tell me about that. I love Diesel Bookstore. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you for listening to that too. Um, so I, I love working in bookstores. Actually my very first job was when I was 14 and it was in a little independent bookstore in Moraga, the town where I grew up that it's since closed, but I, I wrote the owners a letter cause I just desperately wanted to work there. It wasn't even about the money. It was just like the idea of being able to work in a bookstore was so magical to me. So I wrote them a letter letting them know that even though I was 14, like I read a lot and I was very responsible and they hired me. And then when their shop closed, they kind of handed me over to another bookstore, um, the Lafayette bookstore. And that one ended up closing too, but I kind of got my my beginnings in bookstores. And then when I was in grad school, I was looking for a part-time job and I lived really close to Diesel Bookstore in Oakland at the time. And I, um, applied and got that oh, job. And I am talking about a different diesel bookstore. So well, you might've been, well, it, is it a chain? I only yeah. know of the one in the LA. Yeah. In LA. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So John and Allison are the owners. And, oh, okay. Um, yeah. At that, the Oakland one is now East Bay booksellers, but they used to own one in Oakland in Malibu and in Brentwood. And, um, they still have the Brentwood shop yes. in yeah, the, yeah. the country mart there, which is wonderful. Wow. And we're doing a, a Europe of event there actually. Are you? Oh, yeah. fun. Yeah. When is that? Maybe I can. Oh, I don't know the exact. I'll look it up. I'll look it up. Early June. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that's exciting. What do you think? So having worked in a bookstore in terms of discoverability, like one thing I found, I had this anthology come out and I was like, okay, this bookstore has like one or two copies on a high shelf. No one's ever going to find it. Like, what do you do in terms of helping if, it, except for the curation that you can give as a bookseller, like how do you get books discovered if they're not on the front table? And you know what I mean? Like how, how do you, mm-hmm. what is the, what is the secret for other people who don't get well, that placement or whatever? That's such a good question. I mean, I think the, you know, that front table is so important, but the staff picks is yeah. also, I mean, that's such that's a true. beautiful place because 
most of those books on the front table are the new mm-hmm. releases, you know, and they have a short lifespan being displayed in, in that way. It's really rare for a book that's been out for a while to make it back onto a front table, unless you have a store like Diesel, for example, that has just like wonderful themed displays, which then like, you know, let's say we're doing something on joy, (laughs) then like people, the booksellers just go and find all the joyful books. And and then it gives those older books like more of a second chance to be seen. But those staff picks shelves are just the most beautiful thing because it's just things that booksellers are passionate about. They can be old, they can be new, they can be totally obscure. They can be from like super small presses or big, you know, huge presses. And it's really just, um, it's such an equal playing field on those, on those shelf, you know, those shelves. So I think, you know, making natural connections with booksellers, making sure that they read, you know, what you've written because hand selling is such a huge part of being, you know, especially an independent bookstore, like you get to really, as an employee there, you get to really advocate for the books that you love. So I think that's, that's my best piece of advice for that, for for writers. No, that's true. I always look at, uh, I always look at those staff picks. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I feel like people are just so longing for direction, right? There's so many books in a bookstore. Where do you start? Uh, How do you find your way? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even the books that are up there on, you know, the high shelves, as long as sometimes people go in looking for that book, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what keeps them, that's what keeps it there and keeps it being seen. And plenty of customers do go in and just spend hours looking at those shelves and want to discover something for themselves. And so it's uh, one of my dreams in life at some point to try to be a part of a bookstore, to try to figure out a new way to display books or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I have some ideas that make no sense, but (laughs) I would like to try anyway. Um, But Mm -hmm. yeah, there's no better place to be stuck, I would say, on an afternoon outside of a bookstore. I would choose that. I agree. (laughs) Um, Also, in your podcast introduction, you um, it was so great because I felt like you were like channeling my inner monologue sometimes because you're like, well, I'm debating if I should do this podcast, but, you know, I am plagued by self-doubt. But then the listeners like it, so perhaps I'll continue. But then it ended up being your last episode, so I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> like I thought she'd gotten over the hump, and like you have such a great podcast voice. It's like so calming and awesome, and you know, keeping a notebook is such a great title. So why did you stop? You know, I may return to it. I. I just, I have, I mean, I feel funny saying this to you because you have so many projects, um, but I just felt like I had too much in something. I had to set something aside. I teach at a low residency MFA program at Hamlin University. I have, you know, your Babuena coming out. I also have my first picture book coming out. I have a chapter book series that'll be out like in a year or so. Um, I have a YA novel I'm working on and I have my next adult novel that I'm working on as well. That's a lot of stuff. That's a lot. That's a lot. (laughs) Yes. I have an eight-year-old daughter. I have a puppy. I have a wife. You know, it's just, I couldn't, it was just too much. And the podcast I enjoyed, but when it, if it was, if I had to cut something, that was the thing that that had to go. Yeah. 
I have no balance in my life at all. So (laughs) (laughs) I should cut lots of things. And um, you're a much smarter woman than I am for prioritizing what you need to do. And um, (laughs) well, it was it was an act of desperation. It was (laughs) no, I'm sure that's not. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. True. Wait, so tell me about all the teaching. So you run all these classes. Um, tell me about the, what's it called? The novel lab, the novel, slow novel slow lab. novel lab. Yeah, tell me yeah, about that. I've been fascinated by... NaNoWriMo, you know, everyone mm-hmm. who does yeah. National Novel Writing Month. And I have, I've like tried modified versions of that for myself where, you know, like with a friend will commit to writing like 500 words a day or something like a much more, in my mind, reasonable <laughs> word count goal. And, but I'm, I'm a slow writer. Like I'm a methodical, slow writer who spends a lot of time thinking before putting words down on the page. And I found that it was just kind of counterintuitive for me, this, the national novel writing month. Like I, and I found myself thinking like, wait a second, like, I don't want just a ton of words by the end of a a month. That's enough words for a novel that might not be anything that I would ever want to see published. Like, it's just, that's not what it wasn't right for me. And, um, And then also as a teacher, I would see people come to me with their NaNoWriMo novels and be like, help me make sense of this. Like, what do I do now? And um, of course, some amazing novels have come out of that process. And I I truly believe anybody should lean into whatever process is working for them and is exciting for them. But I thought, you know, there could be a different way too. And so I put together this class called the Slow Novel Lab and it is based on like my own philosophy on how I craft novels and how, what approaches have worked for me when I feel stuck, the things that I turn to, how I think about character and plot and, and all of that. And I've taught in traditional school settings for a lot of my life. I taught at city colleges and high school and, um, this MFA program, Hamlin, which I love, but I also loved the idea of just being able to create a course that was not on a semester schedule. That was not for a grade. That was just exactly what I wanted it to be. And so 
I came up with that and it's been really wonderful and rewarding and hundreds of people have taken it. And it's just been a really like lovely part of my life for the last few years. It's amazing. So do you stay in touch with the people who take the class? I mean, many of them, I'm really terrible at email and very overwhelmed, but (laughs) you know, certainly I love it when people send me updates and we have an Instagram where people like, you know, put their goals if they want to. And it's, it's a really sweet community and people, there've been a lot of connections among the students, um, who have formed like longtime writing groups coming out of the class and these really nice ways to give one another support. Have you found commonalities in writer types, like common themes, common threads? Yeah. I mean, many of us are profoundly insecure, (laughs) (laughs) you know, um, there's so much self-doubt, so many of the reasons, you know, it's like the, the class is a craft oriented class, but after teaching it so many times, I was realizing that we really needed a lot of mindset stuff Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. so much of what holds people back has to do with self-doubt or procrastination or um, like a fierce self-critic that questions everything that we put down on the page. And so acknowledging that and then um, figuring out just ways to, to help, help us get get to something from a different angle or help us learn to say, Oh, just to recognize like, Oh, I'm feeling stuck because this is difficult. And I'm scared about revealing this truth about myself. What if I, for example, tell myself that, that I may not share this thing that I'm writing at all. And I get to choose that once it's out on the page. And for now I will write whatever uncensored, you know, thing that comes out of me. And then I can make those decisions later. You know, like that sort of thing is something that, um, can, can really help us just do our, do our best, most vulnerable work. Yeah. Awesome. I, I feel like there's definitely something with writing and anxiety or, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I, it's great. This is like why I feel like I found my people in this world. <laughs> it's, yes. uh, it's, there are a lot of, I feel like there are a lot of personality. Like, I feel like if you went into a third grade, I could be able to pick out who's going to write a book at this point. Maybe not yeah. like a, well-researched historical, like by, you know, nonfiction book, but at least for like the memoir fiction area. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so too. There's also, I mean, just the ability to get completely swept away in a world that you're creating Mm -hmm. is such a beautiful thing. It's such a gift. Like, and I do think that's something that you can spot very early on. Swept away is a good, would be a good title, by the way. It It would. All right. Um, Okay. So wait, the children's book, tell me about that. It's called Mama and Mommy and Me in the Middle. And it's illustrated by Kehlani Juanita and Campbell Wick is publishing it. And it comes out um, on March 29th. So very soon, um, probably after this is being aired maybe, and um, or before this is being aired. And it's the story of a little girl who stays home with one of her moms while the other one is on a week-long business trip. And so it's just a story about missing one parent, you know, bonding with the other when, and just how it feels a little bit off when the family life is, is different for a little while. And then it, it just kind of speaks to broader experiences too, of just missing someone that you love or, um, and I'm, I'm super excited about it. I, I never knew that I would write a picture book and it's just been such a lovely experience. 
Oh, it's so exciting. I have a picture of it coming out in April, actually. Um, oh, wonderful. Yeah, that's so exciting. It's called Princess Charming. Um, oh, so girl cute. who's like trying to find her thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I didn't think I would write one either necessarily. So yeah, it's fun. Congratulations. Thanks. You too. All these different, um, you know, markets and audiences and Mm -hmm. marketing and, you know, the whole thing can be overwhelming. (laughs) It can. It really can. Yeah. But I love writing for different age groups. It's, it's so fun. It's, I, I love, um, you know, for so many years I did strictly YA and I still love YA, but to be able to, just, you know, speak to people of all ages through books is really exciting. Yeah. Very true. Wait. Okay. So last one is your, (laughs) your chapter book series. So what is that now? (laughs) My chapter book series is called the apartment house on Poppy Hill. And it takes place in San Francisco on a fictional Hill. And it's about a little girl named Ella, who's nine, who is sort of like, she's lived in this apartment house all her life. And she kind of rules it in a way. She's the only kid in the apartment house, but all the adults are, you know, have their little mishaps and she kind of comes to the rescue. She's very clear headed and determined. Um, and it's just, it's super sweet and whimsical and fun. And the cast of characters is really eclectic and quirky. And it was just a real joy to write. It's Yerba Buena is, um, uh, a book with a lot of like very heavy stuff in it. Like there's a lot of beauty and joy in it too. Um, but it, it has deals with a lot of very serious topics. And so being able to take little breaks from it and work on this very lighthearted, just like purely joyful book has been really fun. Okay. Last question. What advice would you have for aspiring authors? Okay. Um, let me think. Well, for so many years, I doubted myself in writing your Buena. Like I um, worried that I didn't know how to use the third person voice well mm-hmm. or to its full potential because all of my books had been in first person. I worried about the story and, you know, if it was interesting enough or if like, how could I make sure that these two women that we could, you know, feel their love for each other and just so much doubt swirled in my mind. And then I realized that a lot of that worrying was happening when I wasn't writing it at all. Mm -hmm. And that I had to just take the giant leap and take on this ambitious project that I cared so much about. I mean, and just pour, I had to pour myself into the act of writing this book. And in so doing, I just turned really deeply into myself. I wrote from my family history on my dad's side, we're Creole and my grandparents moved from New Orleans to Los Angeles as part of the great migration. And I was able to mine that family history. I was able to um, tap into all of the the complicated, beautiful dynamics of siblinghood in order to examine these two sibling relationships in the book that aren't really like my sibling relationship, but still, you know, has all of that complexity. And I got to think about what I would do if I were in my character's place and my brother was in the other's place. And um, I found basically that the things that I loved, like beautiful cocktails and home restoration and flowers and just beautiful things that we get to make with our hands or, you know, I found it all within me is what I'm trying to say. And so all of these worries, all of these external worries about how can, how can I tell this story? How can I, 
make this book what I want it to be? Um, those can all be answered by just turning inward and, and trusting your way of, of seeing the world trusting the things that you love and trusting that if you write about what you're passionate about, people will be able to, to see that in the work and find something to connect to. So, yes. Good. Um, well, Nina, it was so nice to meet you and congratulations on your many, many upcoming projects and this book, Pierre Buena and all the rest. So, um, yeah. thank you. It's such an honor to, to be on your podcast and such incredible company with your past guests. And I'm just so impressed by everything you're doing with your publishing and your own writing and <laughs> the series and just all that you have. Your community is so cool. So I really appreciate being invited Aww. into it. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Zippy. Okay, have a great day. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 